As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. ShotGlassDigital.com Visit AudiblePodcast.com slash RFR for your free audiobook download. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. It's all about celebrating your love of a galaxy far, far away. And Little Debbie is the fan's choice for all those sweet moments. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio, Rancho Obi-Wan, and fans around the galaxy. DorksideToys.com. For the latest Star Wars action figures, Marvel, G.I. Joe, and more, visit DorksideToys.com. A small rebel force has penetrated the shield and landed on Endor. This is where the fun begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. Well, if there is a home stretch in the lead up to The Force Awakens, I think we've probably hit the beginning of it. It's coming fast and furious now. No complaints here, but at all. But there's just a, a deluge of information and uh, footage, TV commercials. I was playing a little game with myself earlier today trying to... On the drive home from the day job, trying to count how many commercials, trailers have there been. So we're going to go through those. We're going to I'm going to test Jimmy Mack's skills <laughs> here. And, uh, of course, speaking of Jimmy Mack here on, by the way, Rebel Force Radio, November 20th, 2015. We got uh, a Thanksgiving coming up next week in the United States. So uh, uh, this is the start of the holiday season, and uh, we, we knew as of a couple years ago, that the holiday season of 2015 was going to be big for lots of reasons, but most importantly, The Force Awakens. So I think this really begins the uh, the march, the official march to the release of The Force Awakens. But as I mentioned, Jimmy Mack with me, uh, as always, my good friend and yours from Chicago. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Boy, Jason, I don't know about you, but my official march to The Force Awakens began, uh, I think it was October 30th, 2012. Yes. 
But no, we are in the home stretch, four weeks away. And uh, I, I can't wait to uh, get together with you, Jason, get together with a lot of friends out at Hollywood Boulevard Cinemas in the uh, Chicago suburb of Woodridge, Illinois. You want to join us for that 10 p.m. show? We'll be doing a show in the lobby just prior to that from 6 to 8 p.m. And uh, we want you guys there for it. There are still a handful of tickets available for it. So if you're going to be in the area and you want to come out and hang with Rebel Force Radio for opening night of The Force Awakens, that'll be Thursday, December 17th. Go to HollywoodBoulevardCinemas.com and click on the Coming Soon button to buy tickets to watch TFA with me and Jay at 10 p.m. in a cool Star Wars-themed theater. So that's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, It feels funny being so close to the event, actually, after all this time of anticipation, well over three years. Yeah, I mean, that first trailer was Black Friday last year, so it's been almost a full year since that first trailer. Jim, I mentioned... um, the all the different trailers in the TV spots. So I, I thought we would go through them together just real quick with the what we what we've seen so far. I think I've got them all down. I think I've got them down. We've got, of course, the three theatrical trailers: the the Black Friday, the um, the Star Wars Celebration, Anaheim, and then the Monday Night Football. Those trailers. We've had the the uh, international trailer. We had the Ray TV spot. We just saw the release of the Finn TV spot. We had a TV spot that came out not too long after or, or right after the footage from ABC, the new ABC footage. And then there was another uh, spot that was created around the footage that was uh, on Disney XD. So we're up to what is that? That's like eight. Eight. Did I miss any? You did. I did miss one. What did I you miss? Did. You, you missed a few. There were three small promos. Oh, yeah. Right before the Monday Night Football. Right before the Monday Night Football. That, that very week. Uh, so they were only really fresh for a couple of days. But they were there. There was also some material released in conjunction with Cartoon Network, which is where I f- believe we saw the first, spoiler alert, the first TIE fighter attack on the castle. Was that Cartoon Network? I did not know that there was Cartoon Network footage or that there was anything that was exclusive to Cartoon Network. Really? Or was that Disney XD? No, that was, that was the Cartoon Network. That was Network. the Cartoon Network stuff. Hmm. All right, so we're up to 12 now. I'm forgetting something. I know I am. Ah, maybe not. I, maybe that is everything. But um, we actually did hear some fresh John Williams music. In the first TV spot, which came out a couple weeks ago. That's right. That was confirmed uh, to be the, really the first, I think, we'd heard of uh, new material by John Williams. Now, do, do, do we think that that was music from The Force Awakens or was that composed for the trailer itself? My guess is it's a character's theme. Mm. Okay. So that's Force Awakens material. Can't confirm. Maybe Ray. Mm. Can't confirm. Right. And me and David Collins will be talking about that on Star Wars Oxygen next week. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So you be okay, great. Um hey, by the way, we do have an event coming up or you have an event coming up this weekend as we post the show. 
Yeah, I, I didn't tell you this, Jason, um, but uh, I am attending Chicago Wolves Star Wars Day this Sunday. Taylor Gray from Star Wars Rebels will be there. Ezra himself is going to be there for this great pregame event that's going to be taking place. And here's the cool thing, Jason, is the Chicago Wolves have asked me to MC the event. So this is going to be fantastic. I get to introduce Taylor, and uh, I'm going to be giving away some um, Star Wars Rebels merchandise via trivia contest, and me and Taylor are going to judge a costume contest. So this is very exciting. I'm, I'm loving working with the Chicago Wolves. AHL hockey, minor league hockey here in the Chicago area. So it's sold out. Our event has completely sold out. Obviously, you guys, you uh, local listeners here in the Chicago area, definitely have been in touch with me saying, I'm buying my ticket now. So congrats. You guys have sold out the event. We're going to be giving away Chicago Wolves lightsabers, double lightsabers. There's going to be all sort of uh, great events happening. But the, the main event is, is Taylor Gray. He's going to be in town Friday, today, the day this show is released. Me and Taylor are going to be hanging out on Wendy's show at WGN Radio. So that's going to be a blast. So uh, I got an Ezra weekend coming up here, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So I I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. You'll probably be hearing from Taylor next week on Rebel Force Radio, which is going to be really exciting. And then Friday night, Jason, (laughs) this is the craziest thing, but I have been drafted by Chris Mocked, filmmaker Chris Mocked, director and creator of the uh, fan documentaries, The Force Among Us and The Force Within Us, he has recruited me to star with him in a pilot reality TV show about Star Wars fans. What? Yes, Mocked is shooting a pilot tomorrow night for a Star Wars fan reality show. I know, it's insane. He's going to go pitch this thing? I guess so. Wow. I guess so. So I couldn't turn that down. Well, no. Of course so. Not. Yeah, so I'm going to go see. So you, are, what, you, you and Mocked and, um, and Chris Spice uh, are all going to live in a house together? Oh, it'd be like Star Wars, the real world. Yeah. That- <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be way too real if the three of us was in a Jeez. house together. Yeah, you but, get George. He's there in Chicago, too. Yeah. Imagine poor George having to live with you three guys. Maybe, oh, my God. He would be the one who would be, you know, the hardest to live with, I think. <laughs> George. <laughs> guys are a little loud at night. But, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so we're going to be shooting this pilot for this Star Wars fan That's reality crazy. show. So, so, you know, keep it tuned right here, and I'll give you updates on uh, the development of that little project. But it sounds like a lot of fun. And, and I don't know if Chris Spice is involved. Uh, maybe he is. I hope he is. But, you know, I have no idea who the cast is. I just felt it would be best just to agree to show up and not ask any questions. Well, you know, it makes sense. I mean, on, hot on the heels of uh, last week's Real Housewives of Rebel Force Radio that people heard, uh, I guess that you know, a Star Wars reality show makes makes a lot. I mean, there's a lot of garbage out there in rea- in the world. I mean, why not have a show about Star Wars fans? Clean the clean the clean the medium up a little bit. Yeah, right, right, and put some compelling content out there that Star Wars fans can relate to. And we know there's certainly 
a lot of Star Wars fans out there and, and more will be uh, developing over the course of the next several years as these films are just going to be, you know, well, steam steamrolling through pop culture is I, what we're going to be seeing. Here. I don't know if you I'm saw the myself. I'm, I'm absolutely sorry, Jason, but I just want to, you know, put it out there that I'm really bracing myself for. Uh, this tidal wave of Star Wars that's going to hit us. It's already hitting us. Star Wars is everywhere right now. There's just no doubt about it. I mean, people are calling me all the time, telling me they're seeing Star Wars things. My my neighbors are giving me cans of Campbell's soup for crying out loud. It's, <laughs> and the mac and cheese. Like, you know, there was a there was a piece at Wired.com that the the headline just really struck me. You won't live to see the final Star Wars movie. And, you know, it's all about the fact that, you know, there was so much invested in this and that Disney's in for the long haul. And this is, um, you know, that that, that we, Jim, the, the members of the original, you know, trilogy generation, the original Star Wars generation, uh, this is going to outlive us. And it's weird to consider that because the original trilogy generation kids from the 70s and 80s like you and me, Jay, we grew up at a time where pop culture had a shelf life. Things would expire and you wouldn't see them again. Nowadays, that never happens anymore. It seems like just these franchises can last forever. We've dealt with a moratorium on Star Wars, essentially post-original trilogy, a.k.a. the dark times of the 80s when there was absolutely no Star Wars of any sort of way, shape, or form of any medium being produced. And we assumed, well, that was it. We saw all the Star Wars films. We're completionists. But then the prequel era began and ended. And George Lucas once again said, nope, that's it. Story's over. And so then we, you know, now we're like, okay, yes, we've done it. We have, we have completed the Star Wars saga. We know everything that happens. But then Star Wars never dies. Clone Wars keeps the franchise alive until the sale to Disney. And now we're dealing with a future of infinite Star Wars. Um, it's, it's odd. It is odd to consider the journey we've been on with this saga and this franchise and where it could potentially go on forever. Oh my God! Um, yeah, that that's kind of almost bittersweet to consider. It is in, in many ways. We'll never know how it ends, Jim. But uh, we'll never know how it ends. But I mean, you know, I don't think I think that's it. It will never end. It will never end. The saga goes on. It will be just you know continuing to make its mark on modern mythology, and we don't know how the Star Wars film franchise will be looked back upon. Say. 200 years from now. Right. You know, how are historians going to look back at this era and the way that people are so influenced by the pop culture? Um, will it just be kind of something quaint that they look back head on? Yeah. <laughs> well, I know, well the, I know one thing. What? Uh, George Lucas won't be involved, and that's coming up here on Headlines. <laughs> I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer, I have good news. That's right. We all saw 
or heard, we shared it with you here on Rebel Force Radio, uh, the, the Vanity Fair feature where J.J. Uh, Abrams was being asked questions via iPad by uh, numerous celebrities, including George Lucas. And uh, there was, uh, you know, George's mention of the Darth Vader's grandchildren. We, we sort of speculated that maybe there was an undercurrent of something else with that question. But uh, there's more to this story, including, uh, and I haven't seen this, Jim. This is all new to me, an appearance by George on uh, the CBS morning program. He's being interviewed by Charlie Rose. Yes, yes. This actually uh, aired this morning, Thursday morning, as we record this show Thursday night. Uh, so it's fresh. This is uh, this is fresh information. Uh, I don't really know what this is part of. Something tells me this is part of a much larger interview because Charlie Rose is seen sitting at Skywalker Ranch with George Lucas. They're in the... Uh, the main area there at the inn, right when you walk in there, it, it's it's a site that you've seen many times at many Lucas interviews on things like DVD extras and stuff. I, I know they, they definitely shot a lot of interviews with the cast of Red Tails there when that film was released. So I'm very familiar with that area that George was sitting in. And uh, they showed a clip this morning on uh, CBS This Morning. And they only showed a minute 20 from this interview. So I, I'm assuming this is part of maybe a, a, a 60 minutes piece on yeah, George. That could be, yeah. Cause so they, they, just jumped on on, they just jumped on the part that they might have considered to be the most newsworthy part of this interview. And uh, they flat out asked George, you know, well, how's this breakup with, with you and Star Wars going so far? It's, it's something that's been sort of weighing on us a little bit here at Rebel Force Radio. How is George Lucas dealing with a Star Wars that he has nothing to do with? He's obviously going through a lot of emotions. And you hear in this response he gives to Charlie Rose that it has been a difficult process for him. So he explains why his script ideas were pushed aside and what, if any of involvement George is actually going to have in the final product that we see next month on screens. The issue was ultimately they looked at the stories and they said, we want to make something for the fans. So I said, all I wanted to do was tell a story of what happened. You know, it started here and it went there. And it's all about generations and it's about, you know, the issues of fathers and sons and grandfathers. And it's a family soap opera. We call it space opera, but it, people don't realize it's actually a soap opera. And it's all about family problems and that kind of, it's not about spaceships. So they decided they didn't want to use those stories. They decided they were going to go do their own thing. And so I decided, fine, but basically I'm not going to try to... They weren't that keen to have me involved anyway. But at the same time, I said, I'm not going to... If I get in there, I'm just going to cause trouble because they're not going to do what I want them to do. So, And I don't have the control to do that anymore. And all I would do is muck everything up. So I said, okay, I will go my way and I'll let them go their way. And it really does come down to uh, a simple rule of life, which is when you break up with somebody, the first rule is no phone calls. 
The second rule, you don't go over to their house and drive by to see what they're doing. <laughs> the third one is you don't show up at their coffee shop or the things what you're going to burn it. You just say, no, gone, history, I'm moving forward. Mm-hmm. Wow. Moving forward, George Lucas, that's a tough pill for me to swallow. Is a longtime admirer of the man and his genius when it comes to storytelling and, and, and filmmaking. Of course, you know, my opinion is my opinion, and, and that's a very debatable thing amongst the uh, the outraged fanboy culture. But, you know, I mean, I never heard of a film director in my life. The only film director I knew of as a kid was Rita Moreno's character on The Electric Company. Hey, you guys! You know? <laughs> That was the only film director I'd ever heard of until George Lucas. And then realizing what George did and how he did it and just getting a very rudimentary knowledge of filmmaking just because I admired this guy in the movie he made kind of shaped me into the person that I am today as far as my creative side. And so, yeah, I put George Lucas on a pedestal, and I always have. And, yeah, I'm an original trilogy fan who did like the prequels. So it hurts me to hear him talk this way. But you know what? The, on the other side of the coin, too, it's like George made the bed he has to sleep in. He sold Star Wars. He could have continued to develop that script and maintain complete ownership of the franchise and made the, the Star Wars sequels he felt like should have been made. But he decided it was time to walk away. And you can't fault him with that. He wanted to go on and live life. He's, he's started a new family. He's, he's a new father again. He's got an infant, uh, well, toddler now, and uh, a, a wife who's 30 years younger than him. So, I mean, he's got a lot to focus on right now. So, yeah, he does. But, you know, I think and I go back and uh, I'm looking at a story from – January of 2013, when it was officially announced that J.J. Abrams was getting the uh, the, the gig, and we thought we were going to have sort of the best of both worlds, uh, that we were getting a film directed by, a Star Wars film, once again, directed by somebody other than George, but that George was going to be around as a consultant. I mean, there was talk uh, with J.J. about, you know, George is on my speed dial, you know, he's calling all the time, and we're talking, and, and George was even quoted in the in the press release about J.J. being hired. Um, he says, I've consistently been impressed with J.J. as a filmmaker and a storyteller. Um, he's an ideal choice to direct the new Star Wars movie. and Legacy couldn't be in better hands. Um, now, I, it's not that George is out there bad-mouthing J.J. That's not the point. I think this is more about, you know, what happened at a corporate level than, you know, one personality or, you know, one hired gun to direct the movie. But again, the, the, you know, those euphoric days of thinking, wow, we're going to get, you know, essentially the formula that we had with uh, The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, a very capable director, George helping to supervise, uh, George uh, working on the story elements, all of that. And it was not to be. These are not, this is not George Lucas's Star Wars anymore. So I don't know that I necessarily say, well, you know, George saw it coming or, you know, George made this decision. I think George made a decision that looked to be something else. And then it slowly turned into, you know, him having to completely back off. As he says in this interview with Charlie Rose, he goes, I don't think they were too keen to have me involved anyway. Yeah. Um, 
that. I hate hearing that. Yeah. That's just yeah. that. I mean, you know, he George knows exactly what he's doing when he makes a statement like that. Mm-hmm. He knows mm-hmm. that that it it sounds like the old guy who started it all has been cast aside. Sure. K- kicked to the curb, as they say. But George knew that it was moving along without him, and it was best to remove himself from that situation. So Now, I think uh, one of the most revealing things that he says, Jim, is, is he, he's making a distinction about the movie that they're making and the movie he wanted to make. He says... We want to make, he's talking about, allegedly, I'm assuming Disney, Kathleen Kennedy, J.J., whomever, that camp. We want to make a movie for the fans. Right. George says, well, I just want to tell a story of what happens, you know, A to B, etc. There is a showbiz rule, and that rule is know your audience. And the unfortunate thing about George and the great thing about George at the same time is he is constantly evolving and reshaping ideas. But unfortunately, when he does that, he's moving further away from the thing that drew us to Star Wars in the first place. It's not necessarily the right idea to constantly be trying to reinvent the wheel. Which is what I believe George does because he's not complacent. He doesn't just settle in and rest by his laurels. He is constantly shaping and innovating. And Star Wars was always sort of his his laboratory for that. Mm-hmm. It was hit or miss, obviously, with fans on a broad scale. Hardcore fans like you and me, Jason, typically think that um, George is hitting the nail on the head most of the time. Nobody's perfect. But so that's the thing is, is that by doing, you know, all that innovation with Star Wars is so great and so healthy, yet so bad and so unhealthy at the same time because you're getting away from the thing that made Star Wars work in the first place. And like I said, know your audience. Know what the fans want. And I believe George was pretty closed off during the prequel era. I don't think there's any secret about that. I think that people were trying to tell him, consider this, consider that. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly we know Hollywood in this day and age uses test audiences and surveys. And But, but isn't that what he was rejecting, what he's moving away from? He He's the, you know, the... The, the ultimate independent filmmaker. He doesn't use focus groups. He doesn't use uh, polling and surveys and all of that. Uh, the only thing I'm aware of him, his, him ever doing was hiring a team of child psychologists to see how devastating children would be at the revelation that Vader was Luke's father. And also, if George got the results back from those psychologists and it said, whatever you do, do not do that. You're going to destroy an entire generation of children. And George would probably go, okay, leave it. <laughs> you know, he'd probably just you know, trust his gut and leave it because, he, you know, George, the buck stopped there at his desk. Uh, it, and it always did. And here's the thing in relation to Star Wars. Could it be possible that Star Wars is impossible to contain that way? It just outgrew any sort of future 
with one man leading the charge. Well, isn't it, this the so ultimate big. Frankenstein story? I mean, really isn't that is. what this is about? You know, he creates the monster and the monster destroys him. Not that the monster has destroyed George, but it, the relationship had to end. The relationship that he has with those stories, those characters uh, ended. And um, it's just, it, it's it's fascinating and um, tragic and bittersweet and all that. It's it's. To, to watch it play out now as oh, i so, mentioned yeah, and also also not to mention probably a pr nightmare for disney right now i would say so i mean there's no doubt that george can still get headlines he's george he's um he's not known for being uh the most friendly with the press uh not that he's nasty with the press but i mean he's he's much more reclusive. he's not accessible he's, he's not, accessible. not accessible exactly so he's whenever jo- you see george Sitting with somebody like a Charlie Rose, he's there because George wants to be there. So in this case, George wants to be there and in the process, talk about Star Wars, Disney and and, and all of that, which Mm -hmm. is surprising. Is there an element of George wanting to use the buzz and the hype of Star Wars The Force Awakens to get his story out, his tale of what um, happened to him? And his treatments and and all of that is 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 this is part of this a little bit of revenge? Is this revenge of the Lucas? He's one of the ultimate rebels, and it goes back to his his counterculture upbringing in the Vietnam era. You know, it was he was in college at that time, and he's always been outside the system. He's always been a rebel, so he's naturally going to rebel against uh, the the corporate machine. And he's been doing this for the last few years. Remember when he, uh, he revealed to everyone that Mark Harrison and Carrie were signed for the new film. And he did so about a year and a half before the official announcement came. And the way he put it out there was, I'm sure they want to announce it with some big whoop de doo but <laughs> they're all, they're all in. Right. <laughs> Sorry, chill the delivered baby. And you know, but he knew, he knew yeah. he was raining. Uh-huh. He knew he was a raining, uh, raining on their eventual PR parade. They wanted to show throw, but he didn't care. He, you know, he wanted to show that he was still involved. Yeah. I think. And and I think when he, he is involved still to a degree because he obviously has been up to speed with things going on. Ah, well, you know, up to a point, though, because he did say he had to cut him off. And I believe he did. George Lucas is the type of guy he doesn't he doesn't BS. If he says he's cut him off, he's cut him off. So uh, where is George going to be opening night? That's the big question. Obviously, they have to invite him to the premiere in L.A. They have to have him there. Does he go or does he pull a, a George Scott and doesn't show up at the Oscars like he did for Patton? <laughs> right. He stayed home and watched hockey. I don't know. I, I had to go back and try to find the words that they used about George's role with uh, Star Wars uh, after the J.J. announcement. And it was creative consultant. George Lucas will serve as creative consultant on future Star Wars movies, said Kathleen Kennedy. Will he get that credit? Uh, I bet. Not. I bet he gets the credit in the Force Awakens. No, it, he'll always get the credit, Jim, a la Ian Fleming in the Bond films. It'll always be based on a story by George Lucas. 
Star Wars movies will always be based on characters and situations created by George Lucas. Oh, I, lo- I love that saying, based on characters and situations created by George Lucas. <laughs> it's like the, the old NPR radio drama. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so I, th- I hope so. I mean, I, I think they need to hold on to that legacy. Um, but at any rate, no, we mentioned the Vanity Fair... Um, and I don't really, I don't even really remember what that was, what, why JJ was there and why he was holding this iPad with, uh, you know, Hollywood, uh, folks asking him questions on it. JJ, what happened to Darth Vader's grandchildren? Oh, George, this is great. Uh, you tell me, man, you made all this up. Um, I don't remember exactly what the details were, but I remember you and I speculating um, that there was just had to be more to this. There was more to George's, you know, what happened to Darth Vader's grandkids? Well, that was the question he asked. It was uh, a promo piece at Vanity Fair's new establishment summit. And uh, JJ was there and they, they whisked him into their little studio setup and had him stand there with the iPad and a lot of famous Hollywood types Asked JJ questions. The the one that stands out to me, you know, just to kind of give you an idea of of what sort of questions were being asked of JJ. Jared Leto said, "Will you cast me as Chewbacca in the next Star Wars film?" And uh, you know, it was just silly questions like right, that. Right, right. But Hardy, George popped Hardy, up Hardy, and Hardy. he goes, "So JJ, let me ask you a question, guy. <laughs> Listen, fella, we're Star Vader's grandchildren, and so obviously." See, now I, I struggle with this, this whole idea of the concept of Vader's grandchildren being abandoned for The Force Awakens. Because obviously the last names of Finn and Ray have yet to be revealed. And we've been told that's for a very specific reason. So obviously these characters are the grandchildren of significant members of the Star Wars universe. We just don't know who. So I think the idea of Darth Vader's grandchildren specifically, maybe that is a concept that was put away. Um, I like to think that Rey is Luke Skywalker's daughter. Okay? I've never really been one to think that she was a solo. But, um, again, that's all speculation right now, guys. I mean, I don't want to bog down the show with all that stuff. But, um but, no, but but I but I think when he's talking about the grandchildren, Darth Vader's grandchildren, Darth Vader's grandchildren, yes. I think he's talking about the, his original idea, which we don't know one hundred percent. But there's there was there's talk, there's rumor that George wanted this to be about uh, Vader's grandchildren, the the this you know the kids of I guess Luke and Leia or Leia and Han, and uh, they were going to be much younger. Than yes. the characters of of Finn and Ray, you know, who in their early twenties, these were going to be characters younger. So this was going to be, I think, in the minds of of Disney. Oh, this is going to be a repeat of Little Annie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. except Little Annie's going to have uh, you know more family, and so they wanted to move away from that. They wanted to make the characters more mature, older, that would appeal to you know uh, more older Star Wars fans. So that that's what I thought it was. But anyway, we've got the rest of or at least portions of George as he was being recorded for that to deliver that message on the iPad to J.J. Abrams. um, The folks at Vanity Fair used that as an opportunity to ask him 
some questions since they had the cameras rolling. And the uh, the first question they asked him was, do you have any words of wisdom for future directors of Star Wars movies? And this is George's response. My advice to anyone making a Star Wars movie is there's more to it than just spaceships. I'm curious that uh, the Force doesn't get muddled into a bunch of garbly gook. I'm curious about what happened to Darth Vader's uh, grandkids. <laughs> if you could be any character in Star Wars, who would you be? Uh, I don't know. I like all the characters. Charge our binks. Oh, I knew I saw that coming from a mile away. I very tight. Didn't he say that at the Disney Legends event? Something we're about start- Jar We're starting to notice a routine developing with George now. He's got shtick. He's got shtick. Yep. Yeah. His default answer for any character question will always be Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> of course, that's George sticking the middle finger out to all the outrage fanboy culture. And then um, his other one is is uh, it's more than just spaceships. He doesn't yes, want yes he's he doesn't the want the there. human he doesn't want the human story to be abandoned. Most notably, he doesn't want the concept of family and generations to be abandoned, and that apparently was something very important to George. Um, he's really leaning on that a lot. So I think in retrospect, when George looks back at the Star Wars saga that he developed, that's what resonates the strongest with him. Even though I don't think he set out to develop Star Wars by thinking, you know, this is going to be about fathers and sons and generations and all that. He was just, like he says, trying to tell a story. But then it evolved into such a thing to where now when he looks back at it a decade plus later, he he looks at it as, as a story, a generational tale. So that's what resonates the strongest with him. So we're starting to notice a lot of consistency with George. His sentiments in that clip you just played, Jason, very, very consistent with the statements he made this morning on CBS. Yeah, so, and, you, and you do. You're right, Jim. You see George, whether it be his, uh, you know, being outspoken uh, as he was a couple of years ago about the Oscars and it's... Uh, you know, in his mind, ignoring uh, minority filmmakers and minority uh, actors in the business, he sticks to it. He gets a, a like a cause or an idea and he sticks to that script and he delivers those those copy points. He's he is quite skilled at delivering a message and being very consistent with that message. And we're we're seeing it here, especially that charger. <laughs> well, that's that's really that's George with the middle finger right there, and and I can appreciate that. Uh, he he'd always taken a lot of pride in that, and even during the development of it, there were insiders saying, "George, uh, you know, I I don't know if this is going to resonate or whether." He said, "No, fine, leave it, leave it. Kids will love it." And I think kids did love Jar Jar Binks. It was just the older fan culture was uh, a little put off by uh, the childish nature of that character. Now, when he mentions the concern he has about the, the force being turned into a bunch of gobbledygook, you know there's got to be a bunch of people just choking, thinking that that's exactly what George did with midichlorians. So how mm. ironic that you know he would be saying, well, I hope that that doesn't happen with, uh, with the force turned into a bunch of gobbledygook, but... Um, Still, you know, he again, he's he's holding on to uh, the fact that he wants this to be a story about people and big ideas and not necessarily about space. He doesn't want to turn it into Star Trek where it's all about the tech. He you know, Star Wars is not about the tech. Star Wars is not about space. The people are not against the environment of space like in Star Trek where they're against, you know, they're they're actively working 
uh, against the, the the trappings and the hazards of of being in space. Star Wars just happens to take place in space, right? So you know that was that to me that was always one of the big distinctions between Star Wars and Star Trek was the fact that it was just a story that happened to take place in space versus space almost being a character like it was in Star Trek. But uh, anyway, this is really fascinating stuff. Uh, here's more from George. Uh, this is about being frustrated with directing in the, uh, the studio system of today. You go to make a movie and all you do is get criticized and people try to make decisions about what you're going to do before you do it. You know, it's not much fun and you can't experiment. You can't do anything. You have to do it a certain way. I don't like that. I never did. I started out in experimental films, and I want to go back to experimental films. But, of course, nobody wants to see experimental films. I loved your first film. Well, nobody else did. (laughs) (laughs) I will be directing movies, but not movies generally that will be shown anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Which I I guess it's just like that's a home movie, you know. Uh, I mean, George is basically saying, I want to make movies that suck. Yeah, he is kind of saying that, that nobody wants to see. But, you know, he does have this chip in, on his shoulder about THX, and there's actually a lot of love and affection for THX. You know, I More mean, so now, probably. I think THX yeah. is a film that has aged very well and has a very strong message to send. And I think it might even be a more powerful message today in the age of the Internet and uh, cameras everywhere you go. And I, I think that's a very strong message in THX. And, and it's certainly a film that I like very much. Uh, George talks about and he's been talking about this since probably the 80s, wanting to make experimental films. A a statement from Francis Coppola always resonated with me that perhaps filmmaking may have lost the most experimental and profound filmmaker with an experimental edge in George Lucas with the success of Star Wars that removed George from that realm, that artistic realm. And uh, Coppola laments the fact that George had never able to reach his potential as an experimental filmmaker, someone who, who delved into the abstract a lot. And, and this is stuff that George was very attracted to, especially early on when he was a college student at USC. So it'd be interesting to see if he reverts back to his original passions and, with the George Lucas Museum that's going to be built on the lakeshore here in Chicago and open for business in about three years, that will give him a venue to screen these films should he desire to make them. And I always wonder what George actually has in the vault right now. What's in the can? What does he have? He's He must be making films, but you know, on, on a much more smaller, intimate level probably very similar to George Lucas, the filmmaker at USC back in the 60s. Yeah, he's got the camcorder out. Would you, Chasing would Melody you, around. <laughs> well, that's a Saturday night at the <laughs> Lucas house. But um, yeah, I, of course, I, I, would, I would bet you'll find out that there's going to be a, uh, an impressive uh, theater built into the, that, that museum. And I'm yes. sure they're going to do not just screenings of George's films, but they'll probably be doing uh, screenings of a lot of different uh, filmmakers' work. And yep. that'll probably be a real showcase, uh, you know, a, a, a real um, platform for 
experimental filmmakers. I think that's what George is gonna going to do. But your your point about it, he's probably making movies right now. I would say you're probably right. I mean, you know, a writer writes, a a uh, a dancer dances, an actor acts. You know, George is a filmmaker. So whether we're seeing this stuff or not, I mean, he's got to be filling his time with something. He can't just be going from, you know swimming from one cocktail party to the next and one big fundraiser to the next gala. And that would get pretty dull, I think, for a guy like him. Mm-hmm. Well, he fits in some auto racing there on the weekends, so uh, <laughs> it's not all that bad. Right, right. But uh, so, you know, obviously the relationship between George Lucas and the production crew working on the new Star Wars film there's there's obvious strain there we can just you know just based on george's comments and uh jj abrams you know gonna rise above it all you know be the face of the franchise now and um he actually thanks george which i think is very appropriate george i just want to say thank you for uh making my childhood and the childhood of uh, of so many that much better by creating this extraordinary universe that uh, you were then uh, gracious enough to let me be a part of. So thank you. So he thanks George for letting him be a part of the Star Wars universe. Well, I think George at that time did have uh, some input on who should get the gig. And I have to think that he was sincere in his praise of, of JJ at the moment that he was, uh, announced i'm not saying that he had the the final vote but i i just can't imagine them at that time going back to early 2013 uh, just a few months after the acquisition was announced i can't imagine him being you know standing by and letting somebody that he was really opposed to come in and take that take that part so uh, i don't doubt that there's real respect there between well between both of them obviously so, anyway, um, okay. I know, but we, I'm just trying to stir it up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's let's see it. Uh, yeah, all right. the uh, The new TV spot that just premiered uh, a couple days ago, as we uh, record this show, focusing on Finn and I had uh, wisely, I think now, um, guessed that when we saw that trailer that was really about Ray that we would see um, subsequent releases that did focus in on one particular character. Um, So here is Ray's, or excuse me, this is Finn's moment in the, uh, the new star Wars trailer. You don't know a thing about me, what I've seen. We all need to run. Hope is not lost today. We must face them. Fight them. Sure you're up for this? Hell no. Star Wars The Force Awakens. Well, the word hell gets back into Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. Somebody other than Han is saying it. Uh, he says it twice, Han. He says it once on the Millennium Falcon when they're in those uh, hidden panels. And he says it again on Hoth, you know, the famous, see you in hell. Right. Right. He also says damn, by the way. Damn. Where does he say damn? Do you remember? 
damn fool. There you go. You bring- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. There's no stumping Jimmy Mac. There's no stumping Jimmy Mac. But uh, there was a, a, a certain little bit of imagery within this TV spot that really jumped out at me more so than anything else uh, from all the new material that we see in this brief 30 seconds featuring on Finn. Do you want to take a guess as to what that was? Boy, um, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I want to say that it was seeing Han and Finn together and there's a shot of, uh, it looks like they're in a detention block, almost like the um, rescue of uh, Princess Leia in A New Hope. And you see Chewie kind of lumbering ahead of him mm-hmm. when he, he gives that line. Are you sure you're ready for this? Yeah, kid. Uh, is that you know, it? No, it's no? not. Um, I like that that part a lot. And yeah, it is cool to see Han Solo with, with Finn, who is essentially being the, the new Luke Skywalker. You know, he's... Uh, He's he's fresh and green, and Han, had, you know, he's the guy with the experience. But uh, no, the 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 one visual that made me go whoa was when that stormtrooper faced off with Finn, and he extended his blaster into a a, a club that can deflect lightsaber strikes. I, I oh yeah, whoa! I I saw that happen, and I just I was like, wow, that's that was such a, a, an interesting thing to see a stormtrooper have a specialized skill because that sort of stuff was usually just saved for like a Boba Fett, you know, to mm-hmm. have like, you know, individualized skill, but it looked like that trooper was doing something. We usually, we just see troopers shoot and run, but here we're seeing a, a trooper, display this this individual skill he might have and um and certainly seem up to the task of taking on someone who may or may not be a potential jedi so uh i I thought that that was a very interesting sequence and something we've never really seen before and uh i showed it to my son michael i'm like yeah doesn't he kind of remind you of boba fett the way he makes that maneuver he goes not a bit dad so, I mean, you know, I, I might not know what I'm talking about. But, bull, I do know what I'm talking about. It was uh, it was uh, really uh, something that made me leap in my seat. And Can I say something about people who are really starting to get a lot of anxiety? <laughs> because it was, it's been fun to watch the scale tip from one direction to the next so, so quickly. We were all just demanding the trailer. We had to see the trailer. When's the trailer going to hit? And we were hearing all sort of rumors, and everyone is just foaming at the mouth. They got to see the trailer. Got to see the trailer. And the trailer hits, and everyone gets blown away and, and analyzes it and tears it apart and everything. But for a lot of fans, that was they had reached their fill. Okay. Enough. I've seen enough. I'm ready for the film now. I'm ready for the film. And we keep getting exposed to bits and pieces and commercials like this that reveal just to me, just little tantalizing taste of what's going on. I don't think there's anything that could be really considered spoiler in this. I think we're just getting our first taste of this new modern star Wars universe. And so a lot of people are, I think, um, 
getting really freaked out about it. Say, well, we're seeing the whole film now. Oh, you know? I, I... No, I think we're just getting all these little bits and pieces that are taken out of context. Most of these clips last a second or two. And I, I think it will not remove the the quality of your first viewing if you're exposed to these TV spots. No, I, I don't think it's going to at all. I, you know, but you're so right. You know, everybody was so hungry for it and you give people a little bit and then they're like, oh, I've seen the whole movie now. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they, they look, this, this is the one of the most closely guarded secrets we've got. Um, there's an interview with Mark Hamill. I don't have it right in front of me, right? Actually, I do. An interview with Mark Hamill. He's talking about the level of secrecy, you know, and the uh, the NDA that he signed and how difficult it is for, you know, when he's uh, at an event and there are children and they're asking him questions and he goes, they don't understand NDAs. They just, they want to know what's going on. And um, he was quoted as saying, look, um, if if this secret gets out, you know, I don't get the money. <laughs> He's he part of his payment is on the condition that certain secrets do not get blown. So uh, when you've got that level of um, them playing it so close to the vest, I just don't believe they're going to be letting anything major out in these uh, in these trailers. I think there's plenty, plenty. Of surprises left. So just chill out. Chillax. Yes. But I, on the other side of the coin, I'm also at a, a part in my anticipation for this film, just mere four weeks away. I'm at the point where they release a TV commercial about Finn, which has some fresh material in it from the upcoming film. I watched it once, twice, and then I moved on. I didn't. I didn't freeze frame every second of it. I didn't dwell on it because I kind of want to see it and forget it now at this point. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to hyper analyze the footage that's coming out at this point for fear of spoiling certain aspects of the film for myself. In essence, I'm resisting overthinking about The Force Awakens four weeks before the film opens, and I'm doing so by design. Hmm. Just a, a little protective bubble I've, I've kind of uh, formed around myself, I think. And uh, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm still knee-deep into Star Wars, don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to resist hyper-analyzing. All right, so no more hyper-analyzing until after the movie. By the way... What's the moratorium? How long do we have to give it until we can actually talk about what we've seen? You know, there's going to be a Rebel Force radio after The Force Awakens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's no moratorium. It's as soon as we see it, we're talking about it. And it's up to you, the listener, to uh, know that. I I guess it's a good thing we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, yeah, as soon as we see the movie, we are talking about it. And we will probably be doing so ad nauseum during that opening weekend. Yeah. Now we'll make sure that we're not talking about it until there's you have a fair shot at seeing it, right? So we're we're not seeing we're seeing it on this what on the seventeenth. So I guess you know if we were one of those folks seeing it on the fourteenth, we wouldn't go run out with our, you know, commentary or review of it 
on the 15th. We would make sure that the, you've had a chance to see it. So no, we'll but I, it I, the but first I, weekend. Yeah, you know, I don't even no, I don't even think we're going to make it that far. I bet we have our first show discussing The Force Awakens within context of actually seeing the film itself. I, I believe that show will launch on December 18th, opening day. So people who have seen the film on opening night, the 17th, they'll have something to listen to that day. Okay. And then, and I'll then, buy I that. Mean, you know, really, if you're going to be Can I be on that? Can you be on the show? Yeah. Well, I think that's the plan, Stan. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think we're going to have a, a it, it's going to be you and me and a lot of interesting people. Um, but, uh, it's going to be, it's going to, it's, we're going to have an avalanche of content, uh, just by the, the very nature of the event itself. Uh, and, and you will find we will be highly motivated at releasing that content. So there'll be a lot to listen to. I think that first good. show should just be the wives. <laughs> first show post Force Awakens. But, but in an ironic move, they both will be wearing metal bikinis. <laughs> Oh, hey, you know what? It didn't take a metal bikini for The Force Awakens to rack in $50 million in advanced ticket sales, which is just uh, incredible. These are record-breaking numbers. Um, they're, they're saying we could be looking at the highest-grossing release of all time. Four weeks before its debut, $50 million in the bank already. Mm-hmm. That's astounding. And, uh, you know, to quote the Wall Street Journal, they say most movies would be lucky to open at 50 million. Yeah. And that's the honest to God truth. And you look at this $50 million in advanced ticket sales. I guarantee you, when we release our show on December 18th, there will be a lot of people downloading that because they will have already seen the movie as well. Yeah. Um, just to put this in perspective, Spectre was the number one movie. In the week for the weekend in China, and it opened with 49 million. So it's opening weekend, it did 49 million. And uh, we got Star Wars here doing that in pre sales. So pre sales alone, and there's still four more weeks. You know, there's going to be a mad rush on box office the week of. Oh, gosh, absolutely. There's going to be a mad rush. Oh, by the way, I didn't tell you, but when I went to see Spectre. I showed. I, I go to AMC, and AMC gives you this thing called the Stubbs card, and you get points, and you can redeem them for concessions or whatever, okay? Mm-hmm. So I show them my Stubbs card, and when they scanned it, this whole big stack of tickets printed up. So I have the tickets for our IMAX screening on opening day. I have them in my possession now. Aha! Yes. So... You got uh, them. You printed them out. So yeah. So this is real. This is real. Yeah. It just it came up automatically, and she handed me this big stack. And I'm like, "What's this?" She's like, "Oh, it's your Star Wars tickets. It's doing that now." <laughs> and, and I'm like, "Really?" And she goes, "Yeah. A lot of people are mad." And, I'm, and she gave me a look like, "You better not complain." <laughs> and so I did not complain. <laughs> I was like, "No, this is cool. This makes it real." And yeah, uh, so yeah. I was, you know, saying it loud and saying it proud right there in the movie theater lobby. And they had to call security. It was a whole thing. But um, no, <laughs> um, it, it, very exciting to have tickets for The Force Awakens actually in my possession. I mean, they says Star Wars printed up on it and everything. It's uh, thrilling. Yeah, that's so cool. It's, I've been uh, I just was telling a friend of mine, I, I've 
I have kept every ticket stub for a movie um, since junior high school. Wow. I have every ticket stub so I can go back and I can see, you know, what movies I saw in the theater and and what the date was. And it just sort of it happened by I didn't sit down and say, you know what I should do? I should say, but I would, you know, I'd get home from, you know, seeing whatever and I would empty my pockets and I would throw I'd see the stub and I'd go and I'd throw it in this little, uh, you know, box where I would keep my watch or, you know, whatever. And um, just over time, just started accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. And I look back and I'm like, I have every ticket stub since junior high. <laughs> that that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So, now you only go to like one or two movies a year. I, right. I don't go to. A, I, well, I mean, lately since the kids were born, I mean, I used to average more like, you know, close to maybe six to eight movies a year. Before the kids, and then since the kids came, really, what it was was that that last um, that last couple of months of pregnancy. Um, my wife, she just could not sit in a, in a chair like in a movie theater seat for for two hours in those last couple of months. Just I can I can barely make it myself, and, you <laughs> and know, you're not pregnant. I'm not carrying any extra. Lo- well, I shouldn't say that, but uh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> But 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 so that was sort of the end, and then it was you know well we got to get a sitter lined up, so it was a whole thing. But um, so yeah, now those 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 stubs have, are not growing quite as fast as they used to. But um, it is fun to go through every once in a while. God, I paid to see that. What was I, <laughs> what was I thinking? Now we do have um, courtesy of uh, Entertainment Weekly and uh, our pal Anthony Bresnikan over there. There's been a. The last week saw a lot of great new material and content coming from uh, that website, including some new details on uh, General Hux and the Starkiller base. And uh, I, I guess this would be appropriate. We might as well. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I'm going to throw it on there. We're four weeks away. So there may be some that are just, you know, they're going on a total diet, Right. Well, a fast. Jimmy's going on a diet. Some people out there are just completely fasting of any information about The Force Awakens four weeks out. But I did think some of this stuff was fascinating. So um, J.J. Abrams going on record, kind of um, confirming things. This isn't really uh, so much as J.J. giving us a lot of new information. He's, he's just affirming or confirming things that we're seeing in merchandise and, and in this case, uh, the actual poster. Uh, I thought it was funny. He says, uh, he's talking about the poster and uh, he says uh, um, that, how does he put it? About how busy it is. He does say it's busy. Yeah, yeah. Where is that? Uh, where is that quote? Um, I, I caught that too. I thought, wow, that is, that is, a lot of candor coming there from JJ about that because that has been a very public complaint about the poster is how busy it is. Now I finally did see that poster up close and personal and uh, I I was absolutely thrilled to see that in the uh, theater lobby and uh, I have no problem with it whatsoever. I I get excited to see star Wars, the force awakens when I see it. So I think, uh, you know, uh, to to hold it up there uh, and compare it to the the great masterpieces of Drew Struzan, who, by the way, is retired. Um, 
However, he did create that poster for San Diego Comic-Con, which is very curious, if you ask me. Very curious. Yeah, I don't think we've heard the last of Drew Struzan as far as posters for Star Wars, but... uh, Oh, I don't know. I have a theory. You do? What is it? Yeah, I have a theory. Well, I think they hired him. I think they hired him to do the poster, and he was working on the poster, and he was doing his Drew Struzan thing, and the, uh, the, the, the marketing team didn't like it, but it was Drew Struzan. They had to do something with it. And so they turned it into that collectible for the for D23. And they turned the rest of it over to committee. And that's why you got J.J. Abrams saying, I think, somewhat passive-aggressive things about how busy it is. There's my theory. Well, that's a fabulous analysis. And uh, I bet J.J. Yeah, probably I, I, would have I, rather had the Drusen piece myself. Right. I think that's that's quite plausible, everything you just said. But I can't find that. I mean, there's been so much J.J. in the press lately that I can't find that exact quote. But but he was talking about the things that you see and the things that you don't see. You know, um, you don't see Luke Skywalker, for example, but you do see this giant uh, planet that has um, that looks like it's a combination of, you know, organic and mechanical uh engineering and so jj is saying quote and of course there's all this speculation about what it is is it a death star and he says it is very much and it's acknowledged as such in the movie apparently another death star but what it's capable of how it works what the threat is is far greater than what the death star could have done star killer base is another step forward technologically speaking in terms of power so jim i i don't know if it was it was uh, just me or if it was both of us i have to go back and listen to the program but when we were breaking down some of the visuals in the uh in the last trailer um i guess this would have been one of the tv spots on the last episode we started kind of we started calling the what looks to be a rebel base on or a resistance base on a, a Yavin-like planet, we start. We were calling that Sky Star Killer Base, but Star Killer Base is not the good guys. Star Killer Base is this planetoid Death Star-like thing that we see in the movie poster. It's the snow planet it's, of the of the new yeah right. Trilogy. It's the snow yeah. right. It's the snow planet. And it has this uh, giant, uh, I don't know, like mechanical eye that's 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 built into it. He says um, that it's the only logical that it's only logical that this new generation of imperial wannabes would consider the failure of their idols to be a lack of ambition. If they're going to succeed where Darth Vader and the Emperor failed, they're going to have to demonstrate that they are even more menacing and destructive. So this is uh, about. The, the, uh, the, the First Order sort of picking up the pieces and trying to right the wrongs of you know, what the Empire did. And in this case, it's uh, kind of build this weapon into, into a planet. Now that I'm speculating, but that is Starkiller Base. Right. They converted the planet into a weapon, yeah. made the planet a weapon itself. Um, the issue with, with making a planet into the weapon is... Uh, there's no mobility there. It's uh, <laughs> you're stuck mm-hmm. where you're stuck. I, mm-hmm. I don't think they could, you know, put a couple uh, tie fighters on the back and just <laughs> ask them to push. I, I think it would be 
a little more complicated than that. So how does it work? Obviously, this is a weapon that can uh, cover the vast uh, stretches of space and uh, narrow in on a target. The name itself, Starkiller Base, I think is just more than an homage to the the original name for Luke Skywalker. I think it's more than that. I think it's something that should be taken literally as to how this weapon works. It destroys stars. And so when I think about the whole Jakku Tatooine situation and everyone immediately saying there's no way that Jakku could be Tatooine because it only has one son, well, consider that maybe Starkiller Base was used on Tatooine and wiped out one of its sons. Just as a test, you know, they're like, well, where should we use it? <laughs> Tatooine has two sons. Let's just let's just see if it works on that one son. Maybe they won't notice. It but, could be. It could but, be. But, you know, yeah. by, by doing that, by destroying the son, I, you know, I, obviously it would have massive uh, implications on any sort of uh, solar bodies or, or, you know, any sort of planets or anything like that. Oh, you would wipe out multiple, you'd wipe out whole systems, you'd wipe out, well, entire entire galaxies uh, while yes. wiping out the star or, the you know, the sun, which is just a, you know, a star for that galaxy. I think that, uh, you know, not, not only that, but that there must be a way then for whatever this energy is to bounce around to get it to different places within the within the universe um you know as far as this blowing up a star or blowing up planets i mean we do see evidence of it in the footage of something you know catastrophic happening on that planet when you see the you see uh i believe it's kylo ren at the or is it yeah i believe it's kylo ren looking uh, kind of on the bridge and overlooking the the viewport and you see that red energy field overcoming that planet so i said on one show that i thought there was a possibility that could be captain phasma but the more i've taken a closer look at it it's it's obviously kylo ren i think you can tell by the way that the uh the cape is draping i think it's I was just looking at the arms. I think the Um, arms are really uh, the tell-all there. And, I mean, it's just they have the Kylo Ren voiceover, and it's just bound to be him. You know, something that we haven't heard a lot about is we haven't heard a lot about General Hux. And he's actually got an action figure. The action figure's out already. And this is Domino Gleason's character. Uh, This is the baddie. Uh, This is the imperial sleaze, I think, uh, of this uh, perhaps of this trilogy and um but they finally got a hold of Domhnall and he's talking a little bit about his character and um they ask him about you know what what's the uh what does he get out of the the first order what is the first order and um he says the the appeal is the title the order it's a desire to lump everything in its place and just have power the desire for power is hugely motivating for a lot of people and normally the people who want all the power are not the ones who should have it um people who are messed up themselves often want to squash the individuality individuality out of other people because they're afraid of what it means so he's talking about what makes this guy tick and it comes back to this what we've seen is a pattern with the empire and these imperialistic types 
is this this notion of individuality. Remember, Jim, we, we kind of heard that that Palpatine wanted to snuff uh, non-humanoids out of the galaxy, and he enslaved uh, races like the Wookiees to uh, to do just that. So we might have more of that sentiment being passed on to the First Order. You know, I find the casting of Donald Gleason to be very interesting because traditionally in a Star Wars film, you think of guys like Tarkin, you think of all those Imperial officers like Piet, Ozzel, and uh, you, you, you just consider an older Imperial officer to be one who has risen up in the ranks. Now, Donald Gleason, he's 32 years old. To me, he lacks the experience. He's almost like a Michael Corleone in, in several ways, you know, just from the outside looking in, knowing nothing about this character or how he rose into power. But you'd have to think it was some sort of wicked consolidation mm. of power mm. that, went, you know, that mm-hmm. went down, you know, very much like the end of the very first Godfather. It was all very well coordinated and, and simultaneous hit of all the heads of the five mafia families. And then he assumed control in the vacuum. I bet that Hux's backstory is something very similar to that. I, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, and the other thing that's being kind of carried on is this nature of the empire, the bureaucrats, the officers... And what they would make of somebody like a Kylo Ren, a force user, someone who sort of ties themselves to the legacy of the Jedi, the Sith, what have you. Um, And they talk about, you know, this hatred that Hux has for idiosyncrasies and individuality. And so that would definitely put pressure between him and somebody like Kylo Ren, who's uh, he says, Kylo Ren Adam Driver's emotion-driven Darth Vader-obsessed enforcer for the Forced Order. So this is the first time where we're starting to get a sense of the hierarchy, that Kylo Ren is an enforcer for the First Order. It looks like Domino Gleason's character, General Hux, is uh, sort of calling the shot. So can we assume that General Hux is Kylo Ren's superior? Yes, in very much a similar way that Tarkin was Vader's superior. Right. And Vader was referred to as an enforcer, at least in the era of the original Star Wars. It wasn't really clear where Vader was at in the hierarchy of the Empire. That didn't really become very obvious, I think, until, well, obviously he had, he was exerting a lot of control and power by... The beginning of Empire Strikes Back, he had that full fleet at his command, and if you crossed him, he killed you. So he obviously had a lot of power, a lot of military power. But that's not so crystal clear in the original Star Wars. No. It's not so clear. No, no. no. And I mean, um, you know, are we looking at competition, maybe, developing between these two? And where does Phasma come into play is is phasma's uh is phasma kylo's lieutenant or is or captain rather or is this uh hux's captain yeah i bet um phasma is probably more closely related to hux as far as the uh 
new order uh, pecking order goes. Mm-hmm. Pecking order of the the first order, I should call them. Um, I always call them the new order. You know, this was a thing I have for bands from the eighties. Um, but uh, the 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 first order, you know, I think that she's probably more of a military person, and they probably both share prejudice toward someone like Kylo Ren. We sort of saw Imperial officers showing some of that prejudice in Star Wars Rebels, where they referred to the two new Inquisitors in season two as, you know, Imperial officers are like, what, what, what's with these mystics always, oh, right. you know, being thrown at us? You know, this, oh, there's, there's definitely a separation between those who are military men and those who are devotees of the force, etc. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, hey, I want to take a time out here before we continue and talk about Tops and the Tops digital Star Wars card trading app. Yes. You know, talk about being hooked on the uh, the Tops app. I wanted to open some packs uh, this week on the show, but I think we're, we're kind of running short on time. So I just want to let everyone know that if you're not on board with the Star Wars card trader app from Tops. You got it. You got to do it. You, you download it for free and you collect digital trading cards. And it's so much fun and it's so addicting. Each and every day, there, there's new content coming out featuring everything from reproductions of those classic top Star Wars cards from the 70s all the way up to new content from The Force Awakens. And Speaking of The Force Awakens, the uh, Journey to The Force Awakens set is available in digital form right now, and uh, new cards are being released every day, and I believe you have about a a week left to complete that set, and you definitely want to keep working on that, and uh, build your collection, trade with us anytime, 24-7, just search username Rebel Force Radio, and uh, we'll be trading, and it's a lot of fun, and you do it all from the comfort of your mobile device, the top Star Wars card trader app. These are the cards you're looking for. All right, and some really fun news uh, for those of you who've been following the connection between um, Force for Change, uh, Omaze. Omaze became Oh My God uh, today, actually, as we record the show, where Harrison Ford surprised a number of Star Wars fans uh, for charity. So there's a new contest that is going to allow for Ten, or excuse me, two grand prize win- It would be nice if it was ten. Two mm-hmm. grand prize winners. And again, this is through Omaze and the Force for Change, raising money for UNICEF, where each winner will receive four tickets to meet the cast, walk the red carpet, and attend the premiere of Star Wars The Force Awakens in London or L.A. Uh, the winner and the guests will enjoy free flights to the premiere and stay in a four-star hotel. The details are all at omaze.com slash star dash wars and to kick this big campaign off they went to uh they really went to the top jim and they got harrison ford <laughs> harrison ford himself and what they did is they went and they they rang up via skype or facetime whatever they were using uh folks who had previously donated to the original force for change campaign through omaze and the harrison ford surprised them and uh, we got a couple of clips from some really uh, fun phone calls that Harrison got to make as part of this. 
Are you a big Star Wars fan? Very much so. Hey there, I'm Harrison Ford, and I'm here today with some folks from Momaze to surprise some past donors to Star Wars Force for Change with a pretty big announcement. Check it out. Hey there. Oh, my goodness. We're making a very exciting announcement. We are actually going to be launching a brand new campaign around Star Wars The Force Awakens. <laughs> hey! How are you? How would you like to be one of the first people to see The Force Awakens? Does that sound good? Is that a picture of your boyfriend? <laughs> Lady, you can do so much better. Who's your favorite character? I have to go with Padme. Who's your favorite character? Hi, Harrison. Hi. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love the last one. The last one's great. And oh, then, my God. And then they, they, they come back and they show her, and she's just bawling her eyes out. Uh, Joe, I cannot tell you. I was... My wife was actually laughing at me because I... Uh, I, I saw the link to this right before we started recording now i'm standing in my kitchen and i'm watching this video on my iphone and she started laughing at me she goes you should see the dopey grin on your face right now yes and i was just ear to ear smiling because how awesome is it to watch harrison ford having a ball being back in Star Wars, having a ball, watching the reaction of fans, getting involved, making it, you know, making money for charity, all the things I'm sure that are very near and dear to a guy like Harrison Ford's heart. It's just so much fun watching him have fun. Really, I felt the same thing watching it. Had the same dopey look on my face. Big <laughs> smile. It's such a feel good. I got the goosebumps. Really enjoyed. I mean, Harrison has really come to life over the course of the last few months as as we get closer to this film being released. He's much more animated. He's much more fun-loving. And he's really embracing his involvement in Star Wars. And after all those years of feeling like Harrison just despised Star Wars and he would say all this disparaging things about Star Wars and not be involved in any Star Wars celebration events or anything like that. It, it was sad. So it was great. It's like the prodigal son has come home. And uh, we're so happy to, to see Harrison loosened up and laughing. And I think it's just because of his involvement with Star Wars. It's bringing that out of him. You know, it's it's the magic of Star Wars at work. He was, you know, just the way they, they set this up, it, it was like they, they were in the house and these two people from Omaze were sitting there making video calls on a laptop and then Harrison would just casually walk in behind them and he would surprise whoever's on the other side. And of course, it was a massive shock and a lot of fun to watch, but they got creative with it too. At one point, Harrison held up a paper Han Solo mask from like, you know, Empire Strikes Back era Han Solo. And he's holding and he's talking it. And then he removes the mask and the people on the other side just freak out. It's it's really a lot of fun. And again, great to have Harrison back in the, the fold. He was never this animated during the original Star Wars movies. You'd see those clips of him, you know, on the Today Show back in like 1980, 1981. And he was like, eh, 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 yeah, you know? right. Um, he's he's lost that. He's. He's lost the um, the apathy 
towards Star Wars. And, you know, he makes it very clear. He talks to Anthony Bresnikin. They did a really uh, compelling article in Entertainment Weekly that uh, Bresnikin actually went to see Harrison in his airplane hangar and hang with Harrison. And something that came up was um, the character of Solo. And this is something that I've been kind of concerned with because a lot of all the clips we've seen of Harrison playing Han in The Force Awakens shows us a, a sort of a stoic and serious Han Solo and maybe one who might even be a little shell-shocked at this point in his life. And so I was wondering, are we going to see that cynical old space pirate that we knew and loved so much from Return of the Jedi, or are we going to be seeing an entirely different character? And it comes up in the Anthony Bresnikin interview. And Harrison says, quote, there's no abandoning of the character. He does not aspire to be in the position of Obi-Wan Kenobi, nor does he aspire to be some sort of new age Ali Guinness. And he's talking about himself. He says Han Solo's development is consistent with the character and there are emotional elements which have occasioned his growth, which means we'll still see the old smartass Han Solo flying the Falcon, yes. but, but he is going to have a more complex element to himself. He's going to be affected by the events of the past. Very much so. And and another little tidbit that's in that in that article and you just reminded me of it is that he 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 makes reference to Han being broke financially. Yeah, right, right. Busted in this movie. Yeah, and it comes up. And you know who brings it up to him. You know it's going to be Princess slash General Leia. Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty funny. Yeah. He he can't manage the uh, checkbook very well. <laughs> He overspends, apparently. <laughs> Which might explain why he, you know, is rumored to not be in possession of the Falcon at <laughs> first. So. <laughs> so he had to sell it to a pawn shop. <laughs> yeah, you know. Star Wars Pawn Stars. Um, and But to button this up here, here are the, 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 the details on the Omaze uh, contest as delivered by Harrison Ford. The reason we're calling you is because we're announcing a new campaign. And this time, there are going to be two grand prize winners. Oh, oh, my goodness. Each of them will get four tickets. You get to walk the red carpet, go to the after party, if you can stay up that late, meet the cast, and I'll arrange to have a special introduction to the hairy guy for you. Does that sound good? <laughs> wow! <laughs> oh, by the way, speaking of the Harry guy, I, I want to mention in that montage we played of Harrison surprising the fans. At one point, he says, was that a picture of your boyfriend? You could do much better than that. And it was a, a girl and she had a Chewbacca poster behind her. <laughs> yeah, she had like a framed picture of, yeah. of Chewie. It's like, was that your boyfriend? <laughs> but I mean, very animated, very fun-loving Harrison Ford. And so you heard it yourself. Go to omaze.com slash star-wars and uh, go ahead and, and make your donation to Omaze. 15 charities are benefiting from this. This is a great thing. And you have the chance 
chance to win this the ultimate prize. I mean, my God, you'll get four tickets and you'll actually be able to walk the red carpet at the premiere of uh, The Force Awakens in either uh, London or L.A. And I mean, how could you go wrong with that hotel stay, free flight? So just go ahead and you're, you're making a difference. You're helping out a lot of people. And, uh, you know. We like to help out people here on Rebel Force Radio, too. And, and, and the way we like to do it is through awesome snacks like Little Debbie. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, We can't be giving away no movie premieres, but I tell you what, no. we can give you some awesome snacks. We'll, 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 we'll send you some, uh, <laughs> some nutty bars. Um, but, I mean, you know, it's, it's just our way of giving back and uh, showing our appreciation for you guys because you guys listen to our show and you have for – listen to me and Jason for uh, going on almost a decade now. And so we, we want to give back as, as often as we can. And our friends at Little Debbie, they, uh, they want to help us do that. So um, Matt on Twitter – Matt Ruiz is his name. He says, if I win the Force for Change TFA premiere trip, two seats are for Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. You guys bring the little Debbie. <laughs> so <laughs> That's a what, deal. Man? That is a deal. That's a deal. So you know what? <laughs> We're going to send the little Debbie ahead of time. So it'll be there waiting for us when we arrive. So Matt, you have a little Debbie galactic snack pack coming your way, featuring all the good stuff from little Debbie, including cloud cakes, including cosmic cupcakes. Uh, you never know what's in the little Debbie galactic snack pack. That's the fun. And you can only get it here. It's a rebel force radio exclusive because of course, little Debbie is the official snack of RFR. All right, when he's not surprising people uh, for charity, Harrison Ford is making the rounds, uh, already promoting The Force Awakens. The movie's not even out yet. And uh, one stop was the Jimmy Kimmel Show. And this was right around Halloween, if I remember right. And uh, Harrison came out wearing a hot dog costume. (laughs) He did. You know, like I said, more evidence of Harrison Ford being loose and fun-loving. it has been a tradition for Harrison because over the years we've seen pictures of him dressed in outlandish costumes for Halloween. He and Callista Flockhart have some uh, young children and uh, they've made it tradition in their neighborhood to really go all out for Halloween. So Harrison took it one uh, level further. And uh, decided to uh, show up on Jimmy Kimmel's show dressed as a hot dog. And what's notable about this is Harrison really does talk very honestly and openly about The Force Awakens. Uh, He's a little resistant at first, though. Can you talk about it? Are you allowed? Have they told you don't say anything? Yes. They do. And do you get angry when they say don't say anything? Because you're like, of course I'm not going to say anything. You do not. What is there to say? Uh, what happened? And why would you want to say anything? I want the audience to experience it. I don't want them to hear anything about it. Yeah. yeah. But wouldn't it be funny with all this excitement, all this anticipation, if right now you just tell us what happens from beginning to the end of the movie? <laughs> I mean, just start at the top. Oh, okay. And ruin the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, a, a very different side to. Uh, to Harrison Ford. He's, he's, having, just, he's having fun. He's having fun. He's just much more upbeat than he's been in recent years. He's gone as the 
I can't talk about it, uh, Jimmy Kimmel. You know, he's like he's real animated. He's he's into it. He's yeah. he's he's having fun. And yeah. and when Harrison has fun, everyone has fun. Yeah. So uh, he says he's not going to talk about it at all or anything. But I was surprised that he did get into certain topics, most notably that poster and the question everybody asked about the absence of Luke Skywalker. Jimmy Kimmel asked him about it, and Harrison gets into it a little bit. Everyone seems to be wondering why Luke Skywalker isn't on the poster. Do you have any knowledge of why that is? He's not. There wasn't room. (laughs) (laughs) No. There's a very good reason. What is the reason? I can't tell you. Oh, no. You can't tell us anything about it. Nothing. <laughs> I can tell you this. What? It's really, really good. And when you say that, you mean it. Trust me. <laughs> it's really good. Is it true that... The, 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 the new cast, uh, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, uh, Adam Driver, Oscar Isaac, are phenomenal. J.J. has made an incredible movie. You will not be disappointed at all. I promise you. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Bull statement. Glowing endorsement. And uh, so Harrison's really pumped up for it. It makes me wonder how much of this film Harrison's actually seen. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, J.J., he's uh, editing away in uh, Santa Monica at, at the Bad Robot facility. And... Uh, Harrison uh, is known to store his airplanes in Santa Monica at the Santa Monica airport. And he's also known to park his planes on the Santa Monica golf course. But, uh, this but so obviously, obviously, you know, I, I bet it's not outside of routine for Harrison to occasionally pop his head into the bad robot offices and see what's going on. You know what? I'm really curious to hear. And we won't know until after the, well, after the film comes out, but you know, for, for Harrison to have this much enthusiasm and excitement, I wonder just how much he—I want to say he had influence on the story. I don't—I don't believe that, but we know that even with the original trilogy, that he brought certain um, things about the character. You know, I love you. I know that was one of them. Uh, that. What wasn't in the script? It was just it was just him. I wonder. You know, these these actors have lived with these characters for so long. Uh, I wonder how much on set uh, room there was to experiment, and and how much say that they had in how these characters spoke, moved, etc. Oh, I bet uh, there was considerable influence when the situation allowed itself. Obviously, there's a lot of Harrison Ford in Han Solo, so uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he he uh, voiced his opinion about the character. Now, you know, of course, that that age old rumor that Harrison had requested to George Lucas and the, the you know the other production crew of uh, Return of the Jedi, he requested that Han Solo get killed off. And uh, that's uh, something that's always been a part of Star Wars lore. And Jimmy Kimmel asked Harrison Ford about that specific circumstance. Did it actually happen? 
Is it true that you asked George Lucas to kill Han Solo off during the, uh, the original, the first three movies? Not personally. You didn't uh, personally ask? No, no, I didn't ask him to personally kill me off. <laughs> I asked him to ask the writers to kill me off because I thought that it would be good that the character who appeared to have not so much of a, of a complex interweaving with the, with the, with the theme of the Force and, and all that good stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> You are a, it must be a beard sausage. <laughs> I, uh... Bad boy. <laughs> no, I thought it would be good that the character would would um, uh, if he if he sacrificed himself. Right. Uh, are you some, glad now that in some noble way? Are you glad that you did not that Han Solo did not get killed off? Yes, I would think so. Yes. <laughs> wow. Well, I tell you what, that's one maybe one of the best answers I've ever heard Harrison Ford give. He is glad after all these years, after surviving the carbonite block, after surviving uh, two raids on the Death Star that. His character lives to fly another day. And, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't pull much from that uh, Anthony Bresnikan interview with, with Harrison Ford, but it really is worth going back and, and reading. It's a great interview. Um, Anthony does ask a lot of the questions that we, as Star Wars fans, I think have always wanted to, to ask Harrison Ford, including, you know, what is it like to stand on the stage at, at Comic-Con and feel that love from the audience uh, coming at him. And also, a little thing, Jim, I don't know that we've ever considered in terms of Harrison's relationship with the Han Solo character is perhaps one of the reasons that Harrison has never been all that interested in going back and and, and revisiting that character is because there is an awful lot of Harrison Ford in Han Solo and vice versa. They're very, very similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those things where you meet someone who's so much like you that you can't stand them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because not only do you see the good things in them, but you, you see your own flaws in them. Mm-hmm. And you think that that's just exposing too much of yourself. So you you end up despising the people who you're most similar to. I, I, I get it. I get it. And um, and it seems like Harrison does have that kind of complicated relationship with Han Solo as well. And uh, I, I think that because of the development of the character in The Force Awakens that we're soon going to be learning about four weeks from now, I think that's done something to provide Harrison with a bit of a, a cathartis. Uh, I mean, a <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's let me let me start all that over again because I'm just babbling. It provided Harrison with a cathartic moment where he could come to terms with the character and realize that there is more to the character than on the surface, and hopefully that'll be all brought up in The Force Awakens. And I think it will, and I also think it was really funny that Harrison burped right in the middle of his answer to Jimmy Kimmel. All that good stuff.
that's going to wrap up the show, and we're we're not done. We've still got more stuff to talk about. Never ends. We are just swimming in Star Wars news and discussion. It's it's just amazing. It's great, and we'll be back next week with our Thanksgiving tradition and our listener feedback show, where we say thanks to you. The listeners by we're gonna let you take over the show, so please leave us a voicemail. 708-320-1737. That's 708-320-1RFR. Or you can send a voice memo, email address, show at rebelforceradio.com. These are unscreened, these are unedited. We take them as they come in. It's again our Thanksgiving listener feedback special next week. Big thanks to our sponsors, Little Debbie Snack Cakes and the Tops Trading Card app. Please support them as they support us. We appreciate it. Once again, that email address, show at rebelforceradio.com. You can find us on Twitter at Rebel Force Radio, at Jimmy Mac Radio, at Jason Swank. Jason Swank. On, on Facebook. Facebook, just do a search for Rebel Force Radio. The official website, brand new version coming out very soon, rebelforceradio.com. And we are on iTunes where you can subscribe and review Rebel Force Radio, Star Wars Oxygen, Rebels Declassified, Star Wars Influences, all the shows that we put out. Just one rule on those reviews. Make it good. <laughs> well said, Harrison. You can also find Rebel Force Radio streaming at WGNplus.com. We're available on Stitcher and just about wherever else you can find podcasts. You can also listen to us just about each and every Saturday night at 7 p.m. Eastern at SRSounds.com. <laughs> Harrison. We'll see you next time. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. And I'm... Get me back. The <laughs> Force will be with you. Always. God, you're one of those guys that can belch on demand, aren't you? No, that was not me. Yeah, that, was, <laughs> that was this guy. Oh, that, I thought that was you. No. <laughs> I thought that was you.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.